How's it going, everyone? Uh, today we have a incredible guest, uh, one of my uh, growing up, one of my favorite uh, movie villains uh, from Roadhouse, Jimmy. Uh, but he's also Marshall here. Marshall Teague is also a veteran, a former member of law enforcement, does incredible work with wildlife conservation and hunting. And it just, when I started this podcast this past March out of boredom with the COVID and everything going on, I wanted to talk to people that, uh, whether the military or law enforcement or martial arts or characters from movies that portray these characters that I wanted to be in the security field because of those people. And to find someone like you that probably checks off more than enough boxes, I'm really uh, excited yeah. for this. <laughs> yeah, one or two. Yeah, we can we can definitely do one or two of them. <laughs> so how have you been uh, mentally, physically the last year kind of dealing with everything that the, uh, with the world shut down? Well, you know, it's it's a really a shame that it came about and how it came about. We all know how it came about, but to see the effect it had on pretty much everybody around the world, you know, just uh, it sucked. It really sucked. I mean, it, I you know I did like everybody else. Uh, wore the mask, washed the hands, washed the you know stayed out of groups, but uh, I wasn't going to give up my life for that. I wasn't going to crawl in a hole and hide. That's not my style. Uh, just be smart, you know. And uh, you know, and I and I saw everybody else pretty much, for the most part, believe the same thing. Um, but it, did it knock us on our ass? Yeah, it did. It knocked everybody on their ass. I ducked this country on its ass. Uh, we'll come back because that's what we are. We're Americans. We come back, and you're not going to stop us. But uh, we just deal smart, you know. Just dealt with it smartly. One of the things I, uh, I've always been an outdoor kind of person, but with this whole thing, kind of just getting out and walking in the woods or going on these hikes and stuff, it's like that's something you've always kind of done. So that aspect of your life probably actually got more, probably more grateful for you, just being outdoors and doing what you do. Well, I, I mean, I did. That was one of the things that I, I did during this is, uh, you know, I was, I was born in the Smoky Mountains, you know, people, you know, you ever heard that experience? What, you born in a barn? Right. Close. You know, I was born in a log cabin. So, yeah, I, I was and in the mountains and I grew up there and I learned to appreciate what it was. And I, I always found that uh, when I needed to find a place to release or talk to, you know, whoever people want to talk to, I talk to who I want to talk to. But I went there. I found it the best chapel I ever saw in my life, you know just just surrounded by it so that is how i've lived my life i've always been an outdoors person i don't like being cooped up and when i can get away from this uh, if it's just myself and my wife you know we go you know i'm not going to say chained inside the house afraid of the world and do this it's not no that's just not me right and so you're born in tennessee at the age of 17 you joined the navy was there a catalyst that wanted you to kind of go the military route or is this something where your parents were kind of like, you do you? Well, no, it wasn't like that. I mean, I, I actually left my left home very early in my life. Oh, wow. You know, very early in my life and actually started martial arts very early in my life as opposed to nowadays. Uh, I was in, I, you know, they put me in military schools. There's a lot of people that look at military schools and refer to them differently. You know, they were very strict, you know, very regimented. 
uh, I learned to function under those rules and regulations very well. I was comfortable with that. It, uh, it, it helped me grow. You know, I'm not telling you that it helped me grow. And uh, when I went out, I went, I went for one year in high school, basically one year in high school, played football, you know, played football and uh, realized that I just could not deal with, I couldn't deal with that environment. It was, it was unstructured. Yep. And there, there really wasn't much discipline and, and, uh, to say it irritated me would be an understatement and I just couldn't handle it. I, you know, I went to my father and I said, you know, I, this is just not my cup of tea after being, I've worn a uniform most of my life, you know, right. in one form or another, even in the movies, I've worn uniforms, but, uh, it was just, I needed that brotherhood or sisterhood or familyhood of being in a team, a group. And I like that because you work together. It's not where you, you know, nobody wants to do anything and everybody's bored. And want, no, I, I just function better that way. So after the military schools, I asked him, I said, look, uh, sign me off. You know, already sent me away, so why don't you just sign me off and let me go? And he said, well, okay, son, if that's what you want to do, he signed off, and I went in the military. I actually went to a military college uh, for four years, and you said it best, the structure. I love Reverly in the morning. I love making the beds, the stack and pack, the cups at lunches and dinners. I just love that, the idea of – you're, you're part of something bigger than you. You have a team yeah, with you, your brothers absolutely. and sisters. These strangers you don't even know, after six weeks, you would die for them. And I, I just love the – there's just something about being in the barracks. And, and that discipline. Right. Dis there's a certain thing about discipline. People don't like it. Everybody talks about being disciplined. But when it's a part of your life and you see what it does for you, you want it. No, and it's the whole thing too. If I'm out working with a client doing security and I get to wear a suit jacket, my first thought would leave the hotel room. I got to look for those IPs or I got to burn off these little threads that are hanging. It's like, part of me is like, I was raised by great parents. So I've always make your bed and clean up your dishes and stuff. Sure. But that the military aspect of it, it's very like, look the part, like take pride in what you do. And I just Absolutely. love, I, I, I love that feeling. Absolutely. About if you're going to wear that uniform, don't don't make it look bad. You make right. the form look good, and you right. look good. At it. You know that's just simply as that. So right, you look good, you feel good, and so in the Navy, you actually got a you became a kickboxing champion. Now is that something that where it kind of transitioned from your martial arts at a young age to I gotta do I gotta try and keep doing the martial arts in the Navy? No, uh, what happened was. Uh, I worked security for Admiral Kidd, who was the uh, commander of the Sixth Fleet. Oh, wow. And I learned that he pulled my jacket because he knew I was a fighter and I was a diver. And he, I, I didn't get asked. I got told you, you were <laughs> about to become his security. It was my, you know, the two people I say it was myself and a gunny sergeant that uh, were around him pretty much every day. We went pretty much every place he went. We went. When we would be underway, and this is after I was, I came to the Sixth Fleet. I was over the pond before that, and then was uh, transferred over there. But he arranged. It's interesting how this came up. He would pull into port, and he had the gunny and I 
the gunny and I weren't friends at first. Let me clear this up. He was, a <laughs> he was a boxer and I was a kickboxer and I was Navy and he was a Marine Corps. It's a natural thing. You understand where I'm going with this. Right. But we both worked for the Admiral and, uh, and he was pulled to that jacket. He had his jacket pulled also because he was a good boxer. We'd pull into, we'd pulling into a port and I guess the Admiral or one of his officers would call ahead and say, hey, do you have anybody in these weight classes? And uh, would you like to put on a little uh, match for the troops? Now you hear that word, for the troops. Well, most of the troops didn't see it because you know, it was usually the upper echelon, the officers and that that came to it. You know, uh, yeah, you would have an E8 or so that would be able to come, but and uh, we would fight all comers. You know, I was I was a heavyweight, so um, I got to tell you about this one guy. We'll get to that, but and I got to get to you about the gunny because it's kind of funny. Uh, but he would put on these matches, you know. And by the days they don't do that anymore, obviously. Right. But, uh, and and I he would always give me his usual pep talk beforehand. He would he would walk up to me and he'd say, "Petty officer, sir, don't lose." Yes, sir. That was the pep talk. <laughs> Don't lose. And, Motivated. Uh, and we'd fight, you know, we'd fight. And it's whoever came out of the ring, you know, it's basically that. It's who walked away or limped away or whatever you want to call it. But uh, the one thing, there was one, I got to tell you about this one fight. I was fighting a German one time and he was a heavyweight. And yes, he was a heavyweight. A big drink of water. And he had a jaw on him that looked like a cinder block they build a house out of, you know. He had um, he had pretty good hands, but his legs weren't that good. So I just beat on his legs to try to slow him down. And I'd get a lick on him or something, and he, I hit him one time, and he did this. He went, oh, that was good. <laughs> and, and you know you're in trouble when the guy looks back. He goes, not bad. And... Needless to say, I, I caught him with a kick, plex, a straight straight kick right in the solar plex, aired him a little bit. He bent over, and I brought an uppercut from the floor, and I caught him right there, everything I had into it. And he went down, and I have never been happier to see a man <laughs> hit the ground in my life. Because I figured if he got up from that, I was dead. Right. Well, anyway, this rolled over into later on that night, or yeah, we fought. It was, we fought in France, but I was fighting a German. But um, the, the Gunny and I were we were not celebrating together. We were in the same establishment at the same time, and of course he was ribbing me, and he'd say you couldn't break an egg with that kick. And I and I would ask him. I said, what what is this right here? What what is that? What do you what do you pitter pat with a guy? And it got on and on. And the next thing I knew, we kind of got in a scuffle. We went through the door of this bar in Villafrance. It's on the second tier of Villafrance. And they had this huge fountain out there. That, you know, if you've seen some of the European fountains, they're covered right. in moss. You know, all that moss that's down in there? Yep. Well, we went in there. And needless to say, neither one of us were had our sea legs under us at the time. We were drunk. But we're <laughs> fighting the best we can. And we're not doing any damage. We're falling all over the place. But I didn't know it, but the Admiral had pulled up because all the people were standing outside going, hey, let's go. And we're just wailing away on each other. And all of a sudden we hear this, attention on deck. What? 
I look up and there's the admiral standing there. Of course, all everybody's at attention and the gunny and I are just dripping wet, covered, blood pouring down from both of us. And they said, uh, he's, he looked at me and said, ah, evening's going well, I see with you two. He said, Gunny, you want to explain to me what you and Petty Officer Teague are doing in the fountain? He looked at me and he went, sir, Petty Officer Teague and I were discussing water survival, sir. And we were talking about what things would do if a shark came up. <laughs> Which, you know, right. And he looked over at me and I'm the same way. And he said, Petty Officer, what happened here? What he said, sir, we were discussing water survival. He said, well, needless to say, he said, be in my, be in my quarters tomorrow, 0700, and we will work this out. Needless to say, the gunny got brig duty for a week, which gunnies don't do brig duty. Jeez. And I got put in the aft pump room of this ship to rebuild this pump every single day for a week and wasn't allowed to come out of there. Needless <laughs> to say, the guy and I became very dear friends. We did after that, and uh, it wa it worked into the championship and subsequent. And there is no real championship; it's put on by the military. Right, right. But I ended up w winning the NATO heavyweight kickboxing championship. So that's awesome. I that wish they it. I wish they kept those traditions, and I understand why it's different now. But there's stuff like that where you're kind of like, that's a really cool part of history. Well, it is, and and in that one, the enlisted men got to come to that one, so you can imagine there was a lot wow. of cheering on both sides, and it was it was great. I mean, we were beat to we had the snot beat out of us by the time it was over with. I think I bought two days. I fought six fights. Jeez, in two days, and I was beat up. Do you watch like stuff like UFC or boxing today? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so you're a fan of Mr. Martial oh, Arts. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, absolutely. cool. Absolutely. Who were did you? Uh, what did you think of the Floyd Mayweather Conor McGregor type thing? The which one? The Floyd Mayweather oh, McGregor? Conor McGregor. I I thought it was a lot of hoopla. Truly, right. I mean, it was on Mayweather's grounds, which he was the champion. It should have been right. grounds, but uh, had the roles re reversed and McGregor could have done what he done, he would have won. But Mayweather's the best there is. Yeah, and he had the right to say, and McGregor actually baited it. He's the one that said, "You know, I'll beat you boxing, and you know, and you won't have a chance." Well, you know, you're fighting the best in the world, man. But it's just, uh, it, it is interesting, a, like the 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 ground, the kicking, the ground to pound type versus the box. I just like the the dichotomy of the kind of like the kickboxer versus boxer or well, stuff like you, that. Where if you remember, I think it was in the second round, McGregor almost. He did. He remember that? Yeah. He almost was going. He was going to go for a grab on that and choke him out. <laughs> so the ref kind of called him. And said, "No, buddy, you can't do that." Right. So, but Mar martial arts is very important. I, I mean, I've been in it. I can. I can truthfully say most of my life. Now, which martial arts did you do before you got to the Navy? Well, I, Taekwondo was the mother form. That was the, that was I call it the mother form. That was the first. Since then, it was uh, Kuksul Hapkido. Shonru and then judo. Nice. And I wish, you know, I wish, I really do wish. I mean, judo is great. Don't get me wrong. I love it. But I would have loved to have had a little of that uh, jujitsu back then. But it just wasn't of the time. You know, so it really wasn't around. I read an article yesterday, actually, about 
this, they basically said how the Olympics destroyed the sport of judo and I think taekwondo because they brought him in there, then they kicked him out. And it's kind of it was kind of interesting because you kind of, it's weird how a sport like judo and the history of it or taekwondo yet it's well, not. I a, mean, how, how long can we go back on judo? That's what I'm how saying. Long? Like it's it's crazy though. It's like the dance at root, like all that. It's just crazy. Yeah, I, I could I could not agree with you more. It, it broke my heart to see. When they removed that out, and I sat there and said, these are two combatants that stand on a mat. At the purest are, form. The purest it is form. absolutely in its purest form. And they are playing that chess game with weight and balance and everything else. And you threw it out? Yeah, it was weird. It was a really good article. It was very, uh, it kind of made you wonder why or what politics were playing with it because people weren't watching it. Or I'm just like, what are you talking Whatever. Well, they actually had good crowds. You know that, don't you? Yeah, hundred percent. I love watching those old, the uh, old footage of that. It's just like it's like proper yeah. when you can stand behind your country and just cheer your person on. Well, when I knew they were coming on, I watched the Olympics, and when I knew that was on, I was glued to the TV, absolutely glued to the TV. You know, the point thing, you know, because I was a contact fighter, and I didn't I never really was a point fighter, but contact fighter. But the watching these. Young people it was amazing to me, and yep. I, I really truly enjoyed it. And they came out there, and they they brought their best. They brought their best. It wasn't anything. It wasn't his. Uh, he's not that good. No, they were all the best of, of where they came from. And uh, I can't think of a better way to uh, showcase your country, you know, whatever country, right. is to bring them in, you know, and let them do what they do. Right, I agree with I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Now, as you leave the military, did you have law enforcement on your mind, or did you kind of fall back into that when you got back to Memphis? Well, obviously, by being in, you know, and I'm speaking, right. to, I'm speaking to a security guy, so we know what we're. When you work in that particular field for a while, and um, I got out, and again, you go through the same. Remember that thing I told you about high school? Yep. I'm going back in, and let's face it, I don't think I would be a very good shoe salesman. All right. Yeah, I, I can't picture it. You know, and, and a car salesman. My, you know, my dad was a car dealer, but I don't think it was part of my, I didn't get any of that part of the blood in me. Um, so, and I just, you know, when you've been in combat, when you've been in combat, you understand that that jazz that you're on, you know, and people say, no, you got, it's adrenaline. You get it. You know what I'm talking about. You get, yep. a, you get a fix sometime when somebody, something starts going wrong, bang, that adrenaline kicks into high gear and you're ready to go. So the natural progression for me was, uh, you know, to take the test for the sheriff's department. I scored the highest score they had ever had. I was brought on. And uh, did my job. It's uh, it's crazy now. In the, and we don't have to get political, but the whole last year with like defund the police and law enforcement. It's and obviously I used to be in the Secret Service, so I know what it's like to be in the thin blue line and all that. I I can't imagine what these men and women today are going through when it's the media or just people that don't understand what goes on the, in the head of a law enforcement. And this isn't condoning the bad actions of some cops or whatever. Well, I, one, the old saying, one bad apple can ruin it for, I mean, 
98.9% of the people that work in law enforcement are good law enforcement. Right. It, the, what's disheartening is that the media doesn't show, you never hear the, those good stories of every time a cop pulls out of a car crash or a birdie house or no. takes a bullet for a, a, no. a person or saves a homeless guy's life under a bridge, but no one cares. You're never going like, to hear that. Right. You know, if it does, it happens by accident. Yeah, it's just and it's, it's just crazy. So when you're law enforcement, did you ever, when you come home and start doing the, the, the sheriff's office, it, were you, was this something where you was like, this could be my career? Like, this is going to be yeah, my, no, okay. No, absolutely. Absolutely. No, I, that was, that was going to be it for me. That's exactly what I was going to do. I was where I, I felt I needed to be. I was doing what I felt I was supposed to do. And not only that, but I'll be honest with you. I mean, people don't understand when you say you serve your country. Well, you do. You are serving your country. But what you're doing is you're working beside that person beside you. And that's the most important person in the world. 100%. When you're a cop, you're working for your partner or that partner that's answering with you. That's, that's the most important. You can't get a bond any tighter than that. Right. You know, I don't care. You talk to all the football players, basketball players, whatever. They cannot match that bond when it comes to your life on the line. They can't match that bond. And when I hear this, and I, and I know what those men and women that wear the uniform are doing and what they do every single solitary day out there, and when I hear them say, we need to defund the police, okay, what are you going to bring in? Who are you going right. to bring in? You're going to bring in privateers? Well, let me tell you what happens when you bring in a privateer. You know, it ain't pretty. Right. And no, they don't go by the rules. And they're not, no one realizes the rules that a police officer has to, the decision a police officer has to make in a fifth of a second. Right. Some of the decisions they have to make. And it's easy to sit on the couch and say, I would have never, I would have stood up to that. Bullshit. 100%. Correct. Bullshit. They're not going to do that. Come on. Yeah, a bunch I mean, of key, keyboard warriors or these people that will Monday quarterback anything. It's like you don't you don't understand the training, you don't understand the mindset. No. You, you no, it, it's it's so disheartening. If I I just keep faith that the stuff people will take do the right thing and just support each other. It's just it's just crazy right now. Let me ask you a question: How many times have you been called a name you can't even spell? Oh, I, oh yeah, a hundred percent. <laughs> I've been Too called things. Guys. I would sit there. I, I would. I had a partner that was exceedingly bright, and uh, we. And not, not that I'm the brightest light bulb in the house, but I'm not stupid. But I would actually look over and say, "Excuse, me, what was that? Can what is? Can you break this down for me?" I said, "I'm going to arrest you, but I mean, could you explain this to me? What you just called me?" I said, "I'm right. not mad. I'm not mad at you. You can't make me mad, but you know, you're going to jail. Just so you know, I win." <laughs> but when I, when I used to hear, you know, this and, and, and I, and I, I've gotten letters from people that say, thank you for stepping in when you stepped in or, you know, what you did made the difference that night in uh, our marriage because you stepped in at the right moment or my son was out of line, my daughter was out of line or thank you for bringing them home. Right. You know, things like that. And, this is not a job, by the way, for the neighbors are not going to go out and say, don't worry, 
I'll go find your son. I'll track him down. I'll find him and I'll bring him home. That's not going to happen. Right. They'll call the cops. Yeah. Until there isn't one to call. Right. And who are you going to call then? Sure sure as hell not going to be the Ghostbusters. (laughs) So what led to you and Roadhouse kind of be your breakout film role where you're kind of like, you just jump in and become like this very sinister, evil character that is so like, so insane. So how did that come to be? Well, it came to be because initially I was brought in a year or so before that to work with Mel Gibson on Lethal Weapon. As like a tactical, right? Like the firearms? The tactical and also the persona of what Riggs is. You know what veteran PTSD is right. background. What what that what that means? And I, I was with him for about two weeks, and they had said, "Oh, you, we've got this part in this for you to do, and all this other stuff." And when it came down to it, uh, didn't happen. Didn't happen. There was a wardrobe uh, manager there. The guy that ran the wardrobe department. His name was Barry Delaney. And when Roadhouse came around, uh, I'm trying to think, Glenn. Trying to think, gosh, I, I knew I would do this. I'd forget his name. But anyway, there was another guy that you would know when I mentioned, matter of fact, but he played the head of the FBI in, oh gosh, one of the movies. Never mind. I, it'll, it'll come to me, hopefully. But they had asked him to do it. But when he saw the nature, I think when he saw the nature of the fight and what they, were expecting out of the character. It may have not been big enough for him, and I understand that. Um, but uh, Barry Delaney was in on the, the meeting, and he brought my name up to Joel Silver. He said, Joel, do you remember that guy that you brought? we brought in to work with Mel? Well, he is this. He is Jimmy Reno. Yep. I said, he is Jimmy Reno. This is what he has done, except for the law-breaking part. But I said, this is what he's done his whole life. And I came in for the interview, and uh, Joel was very kind. He's, he's a really nice guy. He's, he's wacko, but he's a really nice guy. <laughs> and he said, "I've seen you've got you've got some chops. You've got you've been working in the business a little bit. And um, do you think you can handle this fighting part?" And I looked at him and I smiled and I said, "You're this is a joke, right? You're asking me if I can handle this fight." I said, "The question is, can you guys handle this fight?" And I got the job. And um, two weeks, you're going to be working with uh, Patrick, who I'd actually met in 1978. We were not, we were not as close as we 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 became. Right. And I don't think you can get much closer than that. But we didn't speak for the first two weeks of the movie. Didn't not anything other than here you are, and we're going to work this in rounds in this fight, this kind of thing. We just didn't speak. Now, for for a movie like that, with you have. Sam Elliott, like Terry Funk, and you've all these like this high testosterone people. Now, with is it like I've read they brought in Betty the Jet Rodriguez, correct? Was was, I'm sorry, was Betty the Jet Rodriguez a coordinator on that movie? Oh, he was a fight coordinator, absolutely. Okay, so when that person, when he comes in there and with you, how hard is it to kind of get someone that isn't really into fighting to look the part, like some of the side bouncers or something like that? Okay, well, let me let me correct you on this. Patrick, I call him Buddy. I'm saying Patrick so people know who I'm talking about. It's Patrick Swayze. I call him Buddy. 
uh, his friends call him Buddy, but Buddy had studied studied martial arts. Okay. You know, he had studied some martial arts. No, he was not a ring fighter. He didn't understand that concept, but he understood martial arts. And let's face it, he was also one hell of a dancer. And you talk about limber and moves and fast and everything. And I learned just how tough he was because, you know, I knew he was a nice guy. But as I said, we didn't talk until the first night of the we were going to fight was the first night we worked together was on that riverside. Oh, so that you filmed that first. That's we felt the filmed that in the first of the movie. And Benny, Benny the Jet and uh, Charlie Paterni said, you may have to get him a little worked up. Do you think you can irritate him a little bit? I, I said, I obviously irritate a lot of people. He said, I want you to get him ramped up for the fight and, and get him into it. And I said, okay. So there's a scene where he kicks me, you know, in the, in the, in the stomach and he kicked me and I went like this and I went, what was that? Was that a kick? And of course, he, you know, he was, you know, he shook it off and everything and, you know, and he thought I was an asshole, you know, which is okay because I was playing that. And he kicked me again. I caught his foot the second one. And I just pushed him off like that. And I looked at him. I said, if that's the best kick you've got, this is going to be a lousy fight. He stood up. He didn't say a word. He stood up. He was about as red as anything I've ever seen. In my, he was just, the adrenaline just surged in this guy. And he just said, roll camera. And immediately they rolled camera because they knew something was going to happen. And we did this fight scene. He hit me with that foot. And I said this to many people before. I threw, I flew back about 10 feet and my butt skipped on the ground like a rock going across water. And he aired me out there a little bit. And I got up and I looked at him. I said, <clears throat> that's a kick. I said, that's a kick. And he looked down at me and he walked over, stuck his hand out, which was, he was just that kind of guy. And he took my hand, pulled me up. He looked me right, in, grabbed the back of my head. And he looked at me and said, you like this shit, don't you? I said, no, I love this shit. And he smiled. He said, what do you say we don't cheat everybody for once? Let's just bring it. Let's leave, the, let's leave the faces alone if we can because we got to finish a movie. But what do you say let's just rock and roll? And I said, I love you, man. <laughs> and then we just went at it. Because you know, the, the, the way that seems so real, like now I realize you guys are actually hitting each other. No, we beat the hell out of each other. They were spray painting him with body <laughs> to cover the bruises. And I was bruised up all over, you know, and he, he, he busted my eye socket. You know, that spinning kick. Yep. You see that blood right there. That's real. That's not fake blood. He cracked uh, my eye socket and that log I hit him with wasn't in the script. Yeah. He busted me. And I, you know, I said, <laughs> I just busted that log across his, across his rib cage. I cracked two of his ribs and he was aired out and I, I was doing all right too. And he looked, and he said, we even, I said, we're even. I think that was the first time I've seen a throat ripped out too. They did a hell of a job, didn't they? Yeah. They put that, they put that throat on in 12 minutes. Crazy. Sun was, sun was coming up. It was the last shot. They had to get that and me going into the water in the shot. It had all wrapped together. You see, there's no cuts. It just there. And I go into water. They built that throat. And when he ripped out, it was there. He just hit this string and it blew out like that. Of course, I hit the water and he rolled me over and there's yep. stuff hanging there. Was, they were just brilliant. They were just great. Everybody on that movie was great. Cast, crew, everybody was wonderful. So when you filmed that scene first, does that help the rest of the movie? Like when you bring, when you grab the 
uh, the pool cue and stuff like that. Does that help kind of bring everyone kind of closer? Like, we know we can do this. Let's do this. It's exactly right. I mean, from the time people stood, I mean, in the first scene, you know, when after he kicked me, we got into they thought we were mad at each other. Next thing I know, the whole crew, everybody in the crew's piling on top of Buddy and I, trying to hold us down because they thought, it, you know, we hated each other. And Buddy's, my face is in the dirt. Buddy's face is in the dirt. And we're trying to get get off of him and get the sand out of our mouth. We got up and we said, what the hell was that all about? <laughs> Guys, you just need, just need to cool out. We're just doing this. He said, this is what you brought us here to do, man. Get out of the way. Let us go. And they, after that, they realized that what we were going to bring, they just... <clears throat> They better be on their toes because they knew we were going to bring it. So that's how it came about. Now, the, who, rest, the rest of the movie kept that pace, as you saw. Right. Now, who wrote your famous line of that when you first get kind of jump in there? Oh, that uh, I used to guys <laughs> yeah. like you in prison. Right. I mean, that's... You know, there, there's a controversy. <laughs> and I, you know, he's probably right. I mean, I always say that I came up with a line. But, you know, Joel Silver was right there and, and Joel, Joel was throwing out lines. So. It could have been anybody. I always say, I've always said that I did the line, but Joel was there spitting line. So it could have very well been Joel's line. And I just said it, but I, for years, I always thought I came up with the line, to be honest with you. The and way, being, and I'm being totally honest. It's very, because you don't, obviously you don't hear that a lot, but you're just kind of like, this guy's hard. Like this guy is, does not mess around. Like that was the first, when I heard that the first time, uncensored because i used to watch it on tbs all the time yeah. and uh i'm like holy hell like this guy beats business they just added that extra little like fire to your character yeah yeah you know you know the same thing with damn boy i thought you were good just it's little words like that you throw in there and it's all about bringing that angst up and that getting people into it you know so it must be fascinating to have that movie kind of be, have the cult status that it does where for me, it's like a rite of passage for every father and son to watch that together. Your friends watch it, and at yeah. what point did you know that movie was gonna was gonna become what it became? We we did not. You know, I'll be honest with you. We went to a fight, and the movie broke out. That's kind of the way I describe Roadhouse. And you know, we we knew it wasn't going to be an Oscar thing. It was an action flick, and nobody really had any confidence in it. To be honest with you. I mean, I heard that, uh, I heard, I don't know, and I'm going to clear that up. I don't know, but I heard that they actually made the movie to fail. Wow. So they would have a write-off. You know, this movie fails so because of this. We got, well, the movie didn't fail. And for now, what, 32 years? Yep. They show it every single day. Somewhere. Every every Saturday night, it's on. I mean, <laughs> so, no, I did not have any idea of that. And, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, I've done, you know, a lot of films and a lot of TV and things like that, but everybody always comes back to Roadhouse. And I think at the end of the day, if you can walk away and say, you had a very crowning moment in the movie business, which most people that are in the movie business don't have a crowning moment. Or don't even get into it. Or, or, or they just do their role and they go out and there's nothing really magnanimous about the or magnificent about the role but to walk away and say i did a film that rocked the house for 32 years name another one yeah I, it's you know? yeah there's not it's, many out there and you kind of talked about earlier your background obviously military law enforcement when you do roles like the rock or armageddon or walker texas ranger and stuff like that it you must 
because a lot of actors have to take the the training to become with firearms or martial arts or self-defense you already it must be very interesting and helpful for directors or casting people be like well we have an actor but he actually lived and done all the stuff still does it that must be kind of cool where you can kind of be a jack of all trades in that aspect it, it is you know and, and, and for years for instance people tried to put me in the stuntman role and i said i'm not a stuntman i just happen to know how to do this right not a stuntman stuntman i put them pretty much up on a pedestal i respect them i think the world of them so many of my friends are stunt people and um you know, I don't, I don't, I never claimed to be a stuntman. I did most of my own stunts for 28 years. Right. Uh, you know, the fights, all the fights. I mean, nobody, nobody wanted to double me. <laughs> the other thing I've noticed too, you like to get into the character. Like you're always like Babylon 5 or you've Quantum Leap or Deep Space. Like you always... It's you, but you almost like you like disappearing in these different characters. You, you don't absolutely. play like the generic you are side absolutely. character. I've always, I believe in, I believe there's a, there's a skin of a character. It's, it's sitting there. It's a, there's a skin of a character. And it's your responsibility to crawl into that skin and stretch it around and then become that character. You know, I've, I've done shows where I'm in full prosthetics. You know that. Right. You know, in Babylon 5, I was full prosthetics. But that mask doesn't act for you. Right. It's not the character. What you bring through that mask is the character. And being able to use a sword, that didn't hurt. You know, but being able to come through that and work through that, it's, it's very fulfilling. And I've had people say, well, they didn't see your face. I said, yes, they did. Oh, your eyes, your voice, your, your everything about you, the movements. And that's my point. Yes, you see me. I am there. I just happen to be wearing a different skin right now. You're seeing me. That is a part of me. It's a great character. Part of me. Man, you spent like whatever character I'm playing, I'm a part of them. I'm right. To myself, them, and then pull it off. Now you spend a lot of time in space. Has that always been an interest in you, kind of? Oh gosh. Oh. Uh, you talk about NASA. Yeah, are you into uh, that? Because I've seen I, I, a pattern from you're always heading into space or up in space. I I love NASA. I love the people at NASA. I I'm a NASA junkie. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, there's only two movie posters that are kept in the uh, neutral buoyancy laboratory. One of them is Space Cowboys, and the yep. other one is, is Armageddon. Yep. I actually see both of them in there. Yep. They're both in there, and that's the only two that are in there, are those two. And I actually signed it when I went down there. They said, look, man, you've got to sign this poster. It's been up here for years, and you're the only two that are here, so sign it. So I signed it. <laughs> I love you know, that. I, I, I love NASA. Well, for many reasons. One, getting to work at NASA, you know, um, Florida, Texas, being to walk across the um, the platform that leads into the space shuttle. And I actually sat in the pilot seat of the space shuttle 19 days before liftoff. Yeah, Man. no kidding. And I was able to have lunch with the astronauts 19 days before liftoff and all this, but seeing how Every person, every piece of that spaceship, there's a person that had their hands on it 
and did it and see the pride that NASA, you know, has for the work they do. And really, they don't get their, you know, they just don't get their just reward. But to, to walk across there where they've done this, walk across that area and stand in the white room. The white room is the one room right before you step into the space shuttle. And to stand in the same place where, to me, heroes yep. have stood. And Giants. Walked. Yep. Giants, exactly. Was gave me immense pride. And knowing those people and staying in touch with NASA all the time, I actually got to do the voice for the 50th anniversary of the EVA suit. That's awesome. <laughs> that's down down there. It plays all the time now. So that's my voice talking about the EVA. Working working with someone like Michael Bay, is that that's gotta be a rush for the actors because he's so into the action, right? I will say this, nobody can work as fast as his not his mind works. I mean, people cannot see the speed that he is looking at things. Uh, he's, to me, he's a, he's a genius. Uh, and people say, well, he's hard to work with and everything. I didn't find that true. I, I find Michael to be, uh, he is he intense? Absolutely. But if he was any other way, I wouldn't have any respect for him at all. I mean, he'll tell you to, he'll tell you off in a minute and you'll be, Tell him right back, and he'll say, "Well, okay, fine, do it your way." Then, <laughs> you know, it's, he's got a lot. You you have to earn his respect. You do have to earn his respect, but uh, I give him all the all the kudos I can give him. I, I think the world of Michael Bay. One day, I it would tickle me to death to work with him again. But doing two projects with him, and I was I was in sky high, and that's great. I've always felt that way about Michael Bay. One of the trivia things I want to confirm, and I, I did confirm it, but I was kind of blown away. You, your friendship with Chuck Norris, but you were in the pilot episode of Walker, Texas Ranger, and you're also in the last episode of like that, the exactly. ending movie. And so, is that a testament to your friendship to Chuck that we're going to start to sing together and end this thing together? Because it seemed like, when I, I mean, I think I've watched every episode 40 times, but there was always a I guess there's always a guest star of say, Bay the Jet or their Dawn the Dragon or whoever else. But for you to be that person to kind of start and end, that's got to be pretty cool. And also do so many you know, other characters too, right? Uh, you know, I played. I, did, I don't know how many I did. Nine, ten, something like that. Yeah. But uh, Chuck uh, is. You know, what you see is what you get. That gentleman, and I say gentleman, in the first order. Is uh, is that way in life? Uh, I've I've known him. I, we actually asked. We were on his ranch one day, driving around, and you know it was one of those things. And we turned and looked at each other. And said, How long have we known each other? And we know it's about four and a half decades, maybe more. We went back. And we've sparred with each other. I mean, he's choked me out. He's thrown me out of windows. You know the whole thing. And it's always with a smile and a handshake and a hug and a kiss on the cheek. I love the man dearly, uh, and I mean that. I mean that sincerely. He's he's kind of my best friend, and I don't mean that because I'm I'm not jockeying for that. Right, I can, right. I can truthfully tell you, he's my best friend. It's kind of cool to see you pop up. Like I just watched the Cutter the other day. I think it's on Amazon Prime. Yeah. And uh, very underrated, but like to see you there and then be like, oh wow, like th this is a true friendship. Pretty cool. Yeah, yeah it is. It is. And I, and I, there, uh, you know, people, 
people talk about friendships and uh, I can tell you that I don't have a lot of people that I can say are my friends. I have a lot of acquaintances and I have a lot of people I care a lot about. And I mean that sincerely. I mean, it doesn't, I'm not trying to put on levels, but buddy, you know, Patrick yep. was a friend that I love the message. The last message I have on my phone, he sent me two weeks before he passed away. And the last words he says, I love you, brother. You know? Yep. And it's that. And with Chuck, I love him. You know, he's, he's my brother. I mean, that's really what I say about it. He's my brother and his, and his kids. I mean, I, I know his, you know, uh, his, his grown up kids know him very well. In many cases, I watched them grow up, but his twins, you know, um, yeah, I'm uncle Marshall. My wife is aunt Lindy. Yeah, it's know? a pretty and, good. Aunt and, right just there. It, you know? yep. and his wife, Gina, she's just precious. I mean, she's the best. She's, she's, she's the rock. She is a rock. And I just, I love her to death. I call her sis, if that gives you any idea. I love that. You know, I just call her sis. So, Do you have any goals? I mean, obviously you have goals because you're that type of person, but what are some of your goals in the industry right now? Like, is there a, is there a certain role you've always wanted or say be in a superhero movie or work with this director? Is there anything like that that's on your kind of bucket list? Well, there's, there's always that. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm an actor. That's what I, what I love to do. I, you know, I like to play, you know, I've played fathers, which is very difficult to do. And I've played grandfathers, which, and, you know, and working with, excuse me, kids, but I have a project that's out there now with my uh, managers, uh, you know, uh, Bohemia. And it's, it's a, it's a fantasy horror series, but it's cool. Horror? It's very, very cool. Now people say it's, it's about werewolves, right? God, you've never done horror, though, have you? Hmm? Have you? Is this your first time doing horror? No, I actually did a horror, a little horror short uh, two years ago, and it's okay. not out yet. The guy's still editing, as far as I know. It's called Sins of a Mad Dog, and I'll give you one guess who the mad dog is. Yeah, I can't wait. And, and Marshall. There is, and there is no monster. This is real people, but what it was was a culmination of six generals shoved into one person in the, in the war between states confederacy you know and he was it just brought out things about him that literally i mean people on the set when we were doing it said you know i gotta be honest with you man that was freaking eerie what you just did kind of scared me right because you're playing six characters at once yeah and but the 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 show i'm trying to i'm trying to get it off as a whole show and uh if it works out and you know and i'm hoping it does we're going to get, we're getting it out there. Uh, you know, they're, they're starting to push it this year and uh, it'll be, I'll just, without going into great detail, I'll just yeah. say it's different in that field than anything you have ever seen ever. Awesome. I love me the werewolf movie here. I love all that stuff. Well, you're going to see it in a style. If it, if it happens and I pray it does, you'll see them like it's never been portrayed. Love it. We kind of talked, and we'll kind of end coming up, but we talked about it in the beginning. But one of the cool things about you is your love of nature, conservation. Um, I know you're in a yeah. quail organization, but you're yeah. into hunting, obviously second amendment. So if you kind of get to talk about how the importance of hunting and conservation in your life and in, in, on Earth in general. Well, people always like to jump on the bandwagon of, 
saying, well, he, he, he carries a gun. Well, and I sit there and go, well, what I do is I carry, I carry a tool when it's time to carry a tool. I have been trained. I've been through several academies. I've been through more training schools than most people can even fathom about it. And uh, no, it's not something that I wheel around or anything else as far as the harvesting of game. And I put it in that I harvest for the food it gives. I enjoy it. I was raised on it. I like it. But it's not, it's not something that I go out and do all the time. You know, when I, I, when I, my freezer gets very, very low, I'll go out and I'll put something in the freezer. And, and uh, we, uh, my wife and I share it, not only with us, but with people that come in and fix it with them and for them, you know, and let them enjoy it. But as far as the conservation, and let's, let's do talk about because that's very important. One of the organizations that I belong to, the Quail and Upland Wildlife Foundation, it's about giving back of the land, you know, and these are people that have hunted their whole life, but this is not about hunting at all. This is about preserving the land and making sure that, you know, with today's corporations that buy up big swaths of land and they just till it and grind it and everything else, uh, you got to understand that there was wildlife that lived there before they did that. Right. There were, you know, the, the quail or the dove or the turkey or pick anything, the deer. They live there, but then you just took that away from them. They don't have a place to hide. So what this organization does is work with other chapters across the nation in putting back the land, it's giving back the land and getting different ranchers and farmers and things like that to set aside areas of their property for wildlife to, uh, to flourish and to feed and to give them a place to bed up and, you know, protection. Uh, no, they're not, they're not caged up. These are, you know, right. free roaming animals. But, and there's a reason for that. When I was a child, you know, when I was a child growing up, you know, uh, yeah, I went out with the 22 and I would shoot some squirrels because we were going to eat those squirrels, you know, we'd bring them home. My dad would give me a, a handful of little 22 shells and he said, don't come back, don't shoot, make sure you bring something back. Don't waste them. They cost money, you know, Yep. didn't have a lot of it. And he learned to appreciate it. And he always said, you never take anything you don't eat or somebody doesn't get to eat. It's just not done. This is not right. joking around. I don't do much of it at all anymore, hunting, but I do believe in the land and putting it back and making sure that another child of a next generation or the next generation or the next generation, and I, I really hope this, has the opportunity to go out there with someone and let them teach them about what I saw and or what they saw and teach them how to preserve this instead of just squandering it. Right. You know, you're not entitled to it. People say, I'm entitled to it. You know, to tell you the truth, nobody's entitled to anything. Right. You know, people say, you should have that role. You're entitled to it. <clears throat> Hollywood doesn't owe me a thing. They don't owe me one single solitary thing. I got into the business knowing full well that I may not get a job or I may have to walk away from it. Well, I've been blessed and I have made a living doing what I do. I hope people enjoy what I do because I love it. I absolutely feed on it. Yep. But by the same token, by saying that, I've heard people in our business say, 
well, I deserve it. No, you don't. You need to go work for it and appreciate it because appreciating it is everything. It's cool hearing you say that because you bring a, a you bring empathy and humility to what you do. And a lot of times you see actors, whether it's on social media or in interviews, just, they come off as holier than thou and they'll, they, they'll make these ridiculous demands or they'll say some stuff online. You're kind of like, you have no idea what the common person is thinking or feeling. But someone like you, and there's others too, obviously, there's a lot of good people. There are, there. there are. But someone like yourself, it's like, this is a real person that has been in the trenches, will get in the trenches, loves what he does, but he still respects everyone else's opinion and stuff. And so it's kind of refreshing to hear that. Well, thank you. Thank you. I, I, I mean it with my heart, you know. And I, I love mean, it. I really do. You know, I, I've had kids, you know, when I go places that ask me about it. And I say, well, what do you want to know? Well, let's sit down and talk. Get Grab a chair. Come on over and let's talk. Well, right. do, you, do you have the time? So I can make the time. Grab a chair. No, that's great. Well, I want to thank you for this, Marshall. This was a uh, this is a blast, and uh, to hear you tell these stories, it's been great. Uh, it's been my pleasure. I'm very honored to be here with you, and thank you for what you do. Thank you for your service, and for all those that are watching, men and women out there that uh, put it online out there every day and have put it on the line. You're in my heart every day. I pray for you every day, and I will never let you be forgotten. That you have my word. Thank you. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many roads that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com.